0: Uh, it's probably a, some of you are wise, it's not been like amazing out there. But those of you who got here, got here. I heard of people who actually, maybe our sound tech actually, and her family took a bus and then the buses got canceled and then she called a friend and the friend got canceled. No, the friend actually showed up, they made it, sled dogs were involved, the whole thing. It was really awesome. Um, after the service, by the way, just want to let you know, we are having our party still. So if you, if you want to still come, friends at home, you are welcome to, to show up even at time uh, in about 25 minutes. We're going to be starting our Christmas party. It's going to happen. And those of you who are here, we hope you'll stay and enjoy some time uh, just enjoying friendship together. And uh, there's going to be a lot of fun. Let's pause for a moment. And let's pray. Uh, This has been a bit of a harried morning where we weren't sure what was going to happen today. And it's great to be in a room of people. (laughs) Uh, And we pause in these moments and celebrate the reason um, for our faith, the coming of Jesus, God made known. Uh, And would you again this morning, would you grab hold of our hearts, bless us with your presence, we pray. We ask you to meet us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. I'm going to be loosely looking at these scriptures this morning, but uh, beginning at verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Let it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Um, like most people, I think one of my favorite parts of Christmas is Christmas morning. I mean, I love the surprise of Christmas morning. And for me, one of the, you know, one year when I was a kid, um, I learned kind of the hard way that there, the magic of, of Christmas morning and getting presents was the surprises. Because one Christmas, a few days before Christmas, I snuck into my parents' bedroom and into their closet and I found a gift with my name on it and I actually unwrapped it to see what I was getting and then re-wrapped it again And when I got that gift on on Christmas morning, I realized part of the real joy of Christmas is the surprises that come with it. it can be one of the best presents of, of a birthday or of Christmas morning. And one thing you can say about surprises is this. They can be good and they can be bad, but they're rarely ever boring. Now, all this said, it's likely for most of us the Christmas story is not a surprise to us anymore. How many times have you read it or watched it or maybe as a kid acted it out or seen it acted out and it's just not surprising anymore? Um, We can forget how stunningly surprising the true story of Jesus' arrival is. We would just never write God's entry into the world this way. I've always appreciated Max Licato's description of it. The omnipotent, in one instant, became flesh and blood. The one who was larger than the universe became a microscopic embryo, and he he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. Or as the message version famously put it, God became, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Amazingly, the wondrous story of Christmas can become kind of routine for us. We're not shocked any longer that the King of Kings is born in a barn and laid in a feed trough. (laughs) That doesn't surprise us anymore. And I'm not saying we're scrooges about it, but this news of great joy for all people can become a little dull or even a little ho-hum for us, kind of just from overexposure. So how might we put the surprise back into Christmas and awaken our hearts to this golden story and the wonder of Jesus' coming? My my personal remedy year after year is to kind of re-again, re-reflect again on the real story, the original story of Christmas, asking God to help me look at it with fresh eyes and an open heart. I've come up with two words, two responses of those first followers, those, those who were in on the first Christmas, they were first of all this. They were receptive. Look at Mary. We just read about her story of, of having this angel Gabriel visit her. She gets this bombshell news dropped on her. The good news, the Messiah is going to be born. The terrifying news, he's going to be born in you, <laughs> right? This would be crazy. Crazy. And how does Mary respond? She responds with this simple faith. She's she's open. She's like, let it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. What a great response. Look at Joseph. Joseph, her, you know, betrothed. Joseph could have in that culture and probably should have in that culture divorced Mary. But God speaks to him in a dream and he doesn't blame the dream on the pizza he ate the night before. <laughs> he doesn't have an argument with God, even though his life and Mary's life are going to be turned upside down. He knows that they're going to suffer some, that in that culture, being married out of, having a baby out of wedlock would, would bring real ridicule and shame. But Joseph just gets on with it. He's receptive to the work of God, even though he understands some of the cost of walking it out. I think of the Magi, you know, the, we, the wise guys from the east. You know, they, they canceled their Mediterranean cruise trip and instead traveled a hard, hard road, a thousand miles, to visit this king of kings, to discover this king. They were so receptive. Not everyone was that receptive. A story that makes it into just about every Christmas play is the innkeeper in Bethlehem. Remember him? What does he say? when Mary and Joseph show up at the door. They're, she's bursting at the seams, ready to give birth. And, and the famous line is, sorry, there's no room in the inn. Right? Bad day. And I, and I wonder, just for a moment here, if that's not part of the reason that some of the magic of this Christmas story has kind of left some of us. There's, in some senses, no room in the inn. We get so busy, kind of in this season, making magic. <laughs> like, It's all about crafting memories and buying and preparing and putting on things. And there can be no room for the real magic, this story of Jesus' invasion into our world. I I love the, the story of the little boy who played the innkeeper at a church play. And he had one line, that line, sorry, there's no room at the inn. But as the characters Mary and Joseph are are walking away from him after he'd given his line, this this little actor, this little boy, shouts out, wait, wait, you can have my room. (laughs) And I, I think Jesus comes knocking, not just at Christmas. He comes knocking every day, in every moment, looking for receptive hearts. That would say, Come on in. I I got room for you. (laughs) You can have my room. And you know, folks, it's so good that we have this biblical historical record of the coming of the Christ. What a a gift that we have that. But we have something even better we have Him. (laughs) Christmas is so much more than a sentimental feeling, it's a person. (laughs) And, and this Christmas, I would encourage us to open up ourselves to the real and living Jesus who wants to meet us today, not just in our celebrations of him. Second thing that stood out to me again this year is that they worshipped. That was their first response. Back to Mary. She's pregnant. She's not married. That's, that's more common today than it was then. To, back then, it would be a, a terrible thing. And she and Joseph changed their wedding plans, and Mary's response could have been depression. In fact, I wonder if it wasn't. We, we sometimes uh, miss the between-the-lines kind of experiences of the real people in the Bible. I, I think it's a normal experience for Christians to actually experience anxiety at times. And, and sometimes go through real periods of darkness in our lives. That's, that's just a normal human experience. And I bet you that Mary had some of that. This would be normal for her. And I, I think this assignment would be for her, for what is for many of us an assignment like getting out of the boat, <laughs> stepping out into the, into the water, like Peter. But you know what Mary is known for? She's not known for her fear, she's known for her worship. We have recorded in Luke 1 the song of praise that Mary sang during her pregnancy. Listen to just a sample of what she wrote. Oh, how I praise the Lord. How I rejoice in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he, the mighty one, is holy and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things. Those are the words of a worshiper. She was someone who looked above all the layers of, of life that was swirling around her, and she was able to look up and see that there was a God who was good, who's gracious. She could see his mercy, and she sang uh, words... Of worship, songs of adoration. Talking about worship, you could mention the angels who sang to startled shepherds their songs at night, glory to God in the highest. You know, I think about the shepherds and the magi for an instance here for a moment. I mean, you couldn't have professions or social status that were further apart. I mean, rich, poor, Hebrew, Persian, Persians, different nationalities. And while we, uh, we know that they didn't actually visit the Christ together, like, like as pictured in most of our nativity scenes, we know they weren't there actually worshiping the infant Christ at the same time. Um, I like to think of them there side by side, worshiping Jesus. And as Matthew 2.11 says, these rich and influential wise men fell down and worshiped. It reminds us that it doesn't matter what your background is or your status. Everyone's equal before Jesus. (laughs) And every human being on the planet was was created to bow their hearts before their maker. We were made to worship. If we won't worship God, we'll worship something else. We all bow the knee to somebody or or something. But some of the best news of Christmas is that worship is opened up to us in a whole new way. suddenly God, who is way out there, has gotten close and near, and we see the face of God in Jesus. We see what God is really like in Jesus. And, and, and then the, the great news is, is that when we get to know Jesus, as we look at his life, it's hard not to be moved by his goodness, the sheer weight of his greatness, his wisdom, his love, his compassion. Folks, in Jesus, the, the the suspicion that some of us have grown up with. We, we find that God is not an angry tyrant one. In Jesus we find such a God of beauty that when we see that, when we really see it, it's the most natural thing to worship. Many of you would know uh, C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, British author and uh, professor who wrote the children's series of the magical land of Narnia. It was my favorite things to read when I was a child. Less than a month before he died in 1963, C.S. Lewis wrote the following letter to a young girl who wanted to know if any other Narnia books were going to be produced. This is what uh, Lewis wrote. Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter, and it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a very good letter you write for your age. (laughs) Ruth, if you continue to love Jesus, Nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope that you may always do so. I'm so thankful that you realize the hidden story in the Narnia books. It is odd. Children nearly always do, grown ups hardly ever. I'm afraid the Narnia series has come to an end, and I'm sorry to tell you that you can expect no more. God bless you. Yours sincerely, C.S. Lewis. You know, recapturing the wonder of Christmas will mean looking beyond us and looking to Jesus with receptive and worshipful hearts. As C.S. Lewis said, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope that you may also do so, always do so. And finally, perhaps maybe the, the greatest surprise of Christmas, let me just add this, is not just the surprise that God came down, but that God came down and willingly laid down his life for hours. The, the one who was born in a crude, wooden manger would grow up later to be nailed to a cruel, wooden cross. And his love for the world, God, God had the best perspective. He could see just how broken and bound up, and enslaved we were. How lost we were. And this, quite frankly, was intolerable to him. He couldn't stand it. But he knew that the only remedy for our sickness, the only only freedom from the tyranny of darkness, would have to come at a high, high cost. The cost of his own life. This is still the most surprising and extravagant gift ever. It speaks of God's great love for you and me. I say it often in this church. How much does God love you? He loves you this much. This much.